Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Don Marsh. Today it's artificial intelligence, AI. With me in studio, Dave Costanaro, Executive Director of Prepare AI, a new nonprofit to prepare St. Louis as a hub for AI innovation. Alexander Miller, founder and CEO of Capneon. Capneon's mission is to prevent data breaches. Katina O'Leary is president and CEO of Health Literacy Media. Thank you all so much for being with us. Great to have you. Thank you very much. Interesting subject as well. Uh, Dave, I'll start with you. There are a lot of concerns out there that uh, artificial intelligence is great on the one hand, but it's costing us a lot of our privacy. Do you think that's true? Well, I think it's fundamentally a a balance and a trade-off that consumers and people who are using AI make between what information do you give to the AI algorithm to make its decisions to improve that use case and make things better, uh, versus what do you keep private and what do you keep, uh, you know, traditionally the way that it used to be? Uh, Alex, a, a question to you. I'll tell you a story, a personal story. Sure. My son the other night was awakened because Alexa was calling his name. I mean, come on, <laughs> what's going on here? Yeah, one worth one thing worth saying about how data is used today is robots are very literal like all computers so whatever kind of instructions you give them they were maybe reasonable when uh, you put them into the computer but what the ramifications down the road might be are very difficult to say so that's certainly not what uh, I believe Amazon is the one that makes Alexa I sometimes get them mixed up it's probably not what anyone at Amazon intended but it's very difficult to see what will happen down the road devices are now getting to the point where they can think and they can reason Dave um, how extensive is that? How much of that can they actually do? Well, you know, it's, it's interesting. When I think about artificial intelligence, I like to simplify it and think of it as something that a machine can do that formerly was reserved only for humans, that only a human could do it. And so what you see there is that the, the goalposts are moving. You know, rewind 20 years, and, and if you would have told somebody, I'm going to have a device in my car that gives me directions, uh, you know, while I'm moving, dictates turn left here, turn right there, you'll arrive at your destination in 10 minutes. You would have thought, wow, that's artificial intelligence. That's amazing. But I think today we kind of gloss over that. And so it's it's become part of the, the equilibrium, part of our everyday, part of the status quo. And so, it, you know, those goalposts of what AI continually move, but they're still nowhere near being a kind of a, a human level synthesis of ideas, being creative, kind of synergizing things, strategizing. So what you see is that specific use cases in a narrow sense, you know, like Alex alluded to earlier, you, you program something, you design a system to do a specific task, and it will, it will just, you know, do amazing at that task, but it can't necessarily cross over into other things. So, you know, I don't think we're going to have Terminators walking the street anytime soon. Well, there are some people, and I don't mean to be facetious about this, who are afraid that the, this equipment and these devices, this technology, uh, will become so smart that they'll find that we're boring and basically want to eliminate us. Alex? A, fascin- uh, a fantasy I think is really fascinating is if we were to make truly intelligent autonomous robots, what kind of values would they have? You know, imagine the Netflix algorithm takes over the world. What would it want to do with humans? It would probably make you watch movies all day and want to hear your recommendations. So, well, that's not totally crazy. We shouldn't imagine they're going to go straight to trying to murder us, right? Uh, they might have other goals. And I think the really scary thing to me is what are the values of an intelligent robot and where did they come from? You use the word scary. 
Well, I mean, it's even in kind of a, a non-science fiction-y scenario, our society is going to change a lot. The business ramifications alone of this kind of technology are quite considerable, and it's going to change our lives. And mm. it's very reasonable to think, well, how will they change our lives, and are we ready for that? Mm. Uh, Dave, the word scary bother you? You know, I, I think that there are different different levels of scary, right? Yeah. Like, I, like I alluded to earlier, there are going to be specific areas where AI, uh, you know, is used and applied and, and has power. And I think what th the thing to be concerned about and to think most about is in that specific area, what are the potential runaway consequences? Mm -hmm. So while I don't think it will be, uh, you know, what they call general artificial intelligence, where uh, you know, you have this this you know mind in the cloud that's kind of controlling everyone. It it could be something just going too far on its own. So one example that people are concerned about is uh, you have several factors that you use that go into a credit score that determine can a person get this loan or not? Are they qualified for this job or not? Can they get this financial product or not? And so if you start to feed more and more data into that credit score algorithm or algorithms like it, it can make better and more predictive, uh, you know, judgments on whether a person is going to pay a loan back or whether they're going to be financially suitable for X, Y, or Z. But the problem comes there uh, is now you're you're trading off privacy. That that algorithm is going to be uh, much better and it's going to be able to drill in farther, but it's going to have more severe edge cases. And further, it's going to become kind of a black box where you don't necessarily know, you know, this person was denied a loan, and maybe it's because the training data that went into it uh, was based on historic data that fell along racial lines or socioeconomic lines or geographical lines, and it's using data that we don't think should be in the algorithm to make those judgments and kind of carrying bias forward into the predictions. It's kind of doing things that we don't know or understand and then these, these people who are affected by that decision, those are the things that I would be more concerned about that are more near-term, uh, you know, that would actually have impacts today. Katina, what do you make of all of this now, putting it in a, in a practical realm, in your field, in healthcare, for instance? Uh, do you have any concerns about the kind of things you've been hearing the last couple of minutes? So in the healthcare field, I think the way that lots of us are thinking about it is um, in any healthcare situation, we always want to think about who we're serving, um, what they need and how they want to get the information. Um, artificial intelligence, all of these technologies give us the opportunity to know more and to make predictive decisions, as we just heard. Um, but people are dynamic, and they want information in different ways at different times. And just because um, they've responded in a certain way 100 times in the past doesn't necessarily mean that that's what they'll do moving forward. And so in that way, I think the inflexibility of a machine as it tries to gather information and learn about people is complicated. Um, I think that there aren't a lot of simple solutions to get to the point that we know enough to use the technology well. Mm. I mean, I also think that the intent of how we use it is really important. So mm. in healthcare, um, there are lots of ways to move toward efficiency. People talk about artificial intelligence as one of those ways to be more efficient. Um, most people that I talk to don't want their healthcare to be more efficient in the way that we replace our doctor, replace the casual conversations, replace the sort of humanness in knowing. So how do we make sure that we use it well in a way that benefits the folks that we serve? In general terms, how is it being used today? 
Well, I think that it's being used today in um, many ways that we don't even think about. They're collecting massive amounts of data, and they use computers to um, look across reports to make decisions about diagnosis that are probably really functional. Um, you know, the machines see many more rare diseases. They're able to look at pathology reports much quicker than one doctor could. Um, they probably get a better diagnosis quicker than an individual doctor, second opinions. All kinds of those things are really functional. Um, so it's being used for diagnosis and, but and also essentially treatment. Yeah. Right? And people are letting machines talk to people first. Um, some people like that. Some people don't. I think it depends on the kind of information. One of the big uh, things in the healthcare industry, one of the big uh, concerns is, is, is privacy. There are a lot of records out there. I have charts that are online from uh, my doctors. Um, I'm concerned that somebody could, uh, could get at some of those charts. Uh, absolutely. But I'm not sure that artificial intelligence makes that more likely um, than the EHR systems that already exist. Right. I have to take a break in just a moment, but Alex, uh, how can that information be protected? Yeah, so one thing I work on at my business is how can you keep data encrypted more often? And one danger that's attached to all this AI and just general using algorithms to work with data, you keep having to decrypt the data to draw these deductions that help patients. What we're doing is all about how can you make those deductions and keep data encrypted all the time? So if there were an attack, heaven forbid, there's nothing in plain text that a criminal could see or use. Yeah. Well, let's take that break now and come back and continue this conversation. We're talking about artificial intelligence. Uh, it's certainly a thing of the future, not to mention the present, and we'll get into more detail when we come back. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio 90.7 KWMU. And welcome back. We'll continue our conversation on artificial intelligence now with Dave Costanero, Executive Director of Prepare AI, Alex Miller, founder and CEO of Capneon, and Katina O'Leary, President and CEO of Health Literacy Media. Well, I, I gave you an example of something that happened to me while we were off the air, and that was that my son was in my home office. We were talking about a product he had just purchased. Five minutes later, I'm looking at my computer, and I'm seeing advertisements for that product. I have no microphone on my, uh, on my computer, but my phone was nearby. Uh, somebody was listening into that conversation, because this is more than a coincidence. Alex, do you have any theories on it? Yeah, well, I think it's worth talking about triangulation and location, actually. Your phone collects a ton of data on you, and one pretty standard one that a lot of people harvest is your location. It's really easy to get a lot of information about, from location about what you're buying, and it's pretty easy, you know, if you were suddenly at the same location together, it doesn't know which one of you is which. Uh, so it's certainly not a coincidence, but it's maybe that Google actually knows everything about what your son is doing and thought for the moment that you were your son. Dave, are we giving too much information to our computers and our other devices? Right, that's a good question. So. So if your son bought this product in a location, brought it back and was talking to you about it, uh, it's true that uh, you know the location, maybe his microphone was on, maybe there are different settings that he has on his phone, maybe there are different browsers on your computer and his phone that are communicating through a Chrome profile or different things. There's a lot of different ways that, that this data can move. Uh, and so I, th I, th I think that's what the issue and the concern is like, the systems are so complex, and so there's a, a public blowback to this. Why? Why am I hearing? Uh, why? Why do I get search ads for something that that was talked about in the room? And you know, I don't. I don't think that there are laws specifically that prevent this. 
Uh, there are some laws about like what you need to inform people, uh, but but really no one no one reads the informed things. No one knows what they're clicking on when they say accept. They accept all these policies, and so it's really uh, you know it's really a balance that the consumer and the different companies and brands that are doing this need to strike. So if there's a creep out factor, then brands I think are do well to to be more transparent about their their uh, you know, their practices of serving ads. And you almost, uh, you know, can you make, you know, an extra tenth of a percent profit if you push the algorithms to a deeper level of granularity? Or do you back it off knowing that that's going to be better for the for your users? I think that's one of the balances that marketers have to, have to figure out better uh, with all these new machine learning and artificial intelligence tools. Bettina, I was interested in your reaction to that story when I told it off the air. Uh, this is a concern you have and, and, and folks you know have. Absolutely. I think that it's a common occurrence and it causes people to really question how information is being used and feel uncertain and have, have trust issues. Um, but from the field of health communications, one of the things I, I think about a lot is um, how it's different when you think about a consumer product that you might buy versus your health information. Um, and some things that are so sensitive and so intimate and so personal. Um, what does it mean when you start getting those messages and you think that people know something that might influence um, your ability to get insurance or get a job or um, to be publicly embarrassed because some health conditions or personal choices are still very socially stigmatized? Um, that's a whole other level of issue. And I think we have to be really clear, again, about what um, we think is okay and what information is um, available for use. Do you work with these two gentlemen, either of them or both of them, with regard to uh, security for the kind of information that you're exposed to? I'm just learning about their work with security and the kind of information that, that people mm -hmm. are exposed to. But I think it's an area that the, the companies that I work with are going to have to pay more attention to. And so we're learning about it as health communication experts and trying to figure out um, how to advise people on the most appropriate uses that um, really optimize the healthcare situation versus um, you know, just make things seem more efficient or, um, you know, cost effective. Before we get back to another part of the conversation, I'm, I'm curious with uh, regard to some of the other things that's going on in the healthcare industry today using this uh, technology. One of the things I've been reading about is brain mapping. Is that something that uh, you have any information on or any exposure to? I do not know a lot about brain mapping, no. There is apparently a technology out there, perhaps the, the gentlemen here know, in which they've taken people in comas and are able to, they can't communicate, but they can, you can make suggestions to them. And then through MRI type devices, they can take pictures of what these people are thinking. I mean, wow, that's, uh, that's the next level, I would think. Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, Elon Musk, I, among the many companies and initiatives that he's founded, he has one initiative called Neuralink, which is going to try to uh, take the signals from your brain and process it so that it's an input to a computer. It's like the new mouse or the new, you know, voice-activated speaker. It would just go right from your brain into into the speakers. And theoretically, you know, you can do that. The electronics are buzzing around in your brain, and in the front is the planning, and then the back of the brainstem is your heartbeat and all the auto automated functions. And, you know, so different things certainly map to different spots in the brain. Uh, I think we've got a long way to go before we get there. And obviously, the biggest obstacle is intrusiveness, right? Like, you can't just wear a hat because you don't get a rich enough signal, a good enough connection to all the things in your brain. And so there have been 
some studies, you know, in rodent brains, they'll stick an electrode physically inside the, the skull. That's not really a, uh, a palatable option for the typical uh, human test subject. Uh, but I think they're trying to do things like that. Uh, you know, th that's, that's kind of the premise behind the neural link. Uh, you know, maybe using a, a, a gel that will allow the electro electronic signal to pass from your brain into the sensors better or things like that. You know, there's so many different ways all of this can go, obviously. But Alex, come back to you uh, with regard to hackers. I mean, they're out there and they have the ability to do, do an awful lot of damage. What role can they play in interfering with uh, the, the kinds of devices that we're talking about? Well, they can do all kinds of things. A worthwhile addendum to a couple comments early in the conversation is once you lose control of data, which is something that hackers will help you with, you really never get it back. It's not expensive to store. It's easy to copy. You know, if you make a record of what you're thinking about right now one way or another, if hackers can't read your mind right now, they can read it tomorrow. Uh, so certainly the data loss angles uh, kind of always very present, especially if there were already private con privacy concerns talking about just what a business would do with it. And your field, uh, Katina, the hackers uh, an issue? Um, I, I absolutely um, think that hackers are an issue in the fields that we work in, correct? Yeah. yeah. Health communication, people want your information and they want to use it in a variety of ways um, and not all of them are for your benefit. I've what? also heard that hospitals, especially smaller hospitals, are a prime target because they'll pay the ransom. You know, some of these hackers can steal some of the records if they're not stored according to the proper procedures, and the hospital really has no choice. And so I think, yeah, if you're a, any type of hospital or healthcare provider, certainly in your best interest to get your security ducks in a row. Or they can take over the, your computer system altogether and uh, hold you for ransom uh, in order to get your computer back. That, I <laughs> right. mean, that's something else that goes yeah. on. Let's talk uh, in the remaining time we have left about the conference that's coming up on April 9th. Uh, Dave, you'd be the guy to talk about what's going on. Everybody here is participating. What, yeah. what are you doing? That's right. Yeah, so Katina and Alex are both presenting, uh, speaking on panels and giving mm -hmm. some sessions. The conference is called the Prepare AI Conference on Artificial Intelligence. So this is our second year hosting it. Uh, we had last year, it was our inaugural, inaugural year, and it was exciting to see so much interesting work in artificial intelligence come out of the woodwork in St. Louis. And what we've done over the past year is kind of build on that momentum. And so what I see it is it's still the first inning in artificial intelligence being applied to you know, all the industries under the sun taking things and seeing how can we tune and optimize this task and how can we add AI over here to make this better and how can we create new value with some new use case that has never been used before using computer vision or natural language processing. So there's all of this, you know, there's so much data now, like we've just been talking about, it's so complex. You know, we need these AI algorithms to organize it for us and sort it for us and, and, and use it. And so that's what we're trying to do at this conference is to get our heads around AI, how it's being used with all this data and all these new use cases, uh, and, and connect each other. So there's a growing community in St. Louis of people, you know, we have this huge life sciences corridor, ag tech and, uh, you know, me medicine and pharmaceuticals. We have, uh, you know, huge efforts in manufacturing, a lot of uh, uh, 
growing tech scene. So all these people are using AI and there's startups and enterprises. We're trying to get them all together so that we can we can share learnings and share knowledge with each other. Very limited time left. Katina, you're going to be making a presentation very quickly. What will your presentation involve? So I'll talk on a panel with other people who are interested in the health um, considerations for health data. Um, and I'm interested in the health education part and how to help companies um, figure out how to make sense of this in a way that works for the people who are their patients. And 30 seconds, Alex, your, your part. Yeah, I'm in ethics and society. What are the incentives that business, lawmakers, bureaucrats see related to data privacy? Are they all in your favor? Maybe not. And what role can technology play in improving that situation and protecting the consumer? Well, it sounds like it's going to be a very interesting conference, an interesting subject. I find a lot of it disquieting, but when you look at the potential, my God, it's just uh, boundless, it would seem. I want to thank you all so much for being with us. Dave Costanero, thank you for being with us. Executive Director of Prepare AI, Alexander Miller, founder and CEO of Capneon, and Katina O'Leary, President and CEO of Health Literacy Media. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU.